welcome back to the Bayside CERN Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director at Bayside. This week, we are in Daniel chapter 11 with Pastor Ken Carlson. However, this week, Pastor Ken is preparing to be preaching at Ocean Grove for their men's retreat. So again, we're going to do something a little bit different. If you remember last week, we had to record our podcast before the sermon happened with Pastor Brian, but this week we're going to do things a little differently. I'm going to take select audio from the sermon as we go through the discussion guide. And if you have questions where to find the the sermon guide, go to our website and our resources and you'll be able to click through and find the link for the Sermon Discussion Guide. So here we go. We're going to begin with question one from the Sermon Discussion Guide. Pastor Ken asked at the very beginning of the sermon, If a friend asked you why you believe the words of the Bible to be true, what kind of response would you give? Here's Pastor Ken with a couple of examples as to why we could believe the Bible to be true. For example, the unity of the Bible speaks to its divine origin. The fact that the Bible is so unified, the fact that 66 books of the Bible, written by 40 different authors from different backgrounds, and spoke different languages from different uh, continents, wrote it over the span of about 1,600 years. So the fact that all of that took place The fact that these 66 books weave together this beautiful unfolding story of redemption lends credence to its divine origin. Or take the historical and geographical accuracy of the scripture. Another proof that God is behind the text, right? It's become the single most accurate historical document used by archaeologists over and over and over again throughout the centuries. The Bible has been proven accurate in its people, accurate in all the locations, accurate in the dates, accurate in the rulers, accurate in all the records of historical events. So you have the unity of Scripture, you have the geographical and historical accuracy of Scripture, and the list of reasons goes on and on. The fact that the Bible was preserved the way it was for that many years, or the fact that the Bible is so honest, it's clear that it's true, or the fact that the Bible speaks of so many miracles, or ultimately, it's because Jesus recognized the authority of Scripture. Now, one common question about the preservation of the scriptures comes from when was the 66 books of the Bible decided? Well, that is a hotly contested bit of information and who did it and when they did it is uh, never agreed upon by two different sources. But in general, uh, we look to about the fourth century And after all the apostles had died and the early church fathers had died and the greater persecution happening within the Roman Empire, the church began to come together and define some of the things that they were understanding from their experience with Jesus here on earth, plus what books were acceptable and not acceptable for teaching about Jesus. Now, At that time, there was only one church, 
and it wasn't defined as we define churches now as Christian churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, and the list goes on and on and on. The church that was known at that point was what we would know as the Holy Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic in its broadest sense means universal. Again, not everybody is going to agree about this, but this is what I'm trying to remember from my Bible history class from seminary. The Catholic Church is partly responsible for setting up the councils that were in the first 500 years of the church that established which books were of the canon, C-A-N-O-N, and is not related to the military weapon. See, there are so many reasons to believe the Bible can be trusted, but arguably one of the most convincing reasons, one of the greatest evidences that God is the author of the Bible is found in the fact of predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy. See, Scripture contains about 2,000 predictions about future events. Right? And the ones that have already been fulfilled have been fulfilled so precisely, so accurately. Fulfilled prophecy, then, is not the result of, of chance or, or coincidence. Fulfilled prophecy is the result of an eternal, timeless, omniscient God ensuring his people that he could be trusted and giving us incredible evidence for believing in him and, and taking the scripture to be his word, believing beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is the inerrant, authoritative word of God. Moving on to question number two from the discussion guide. It has been said that prophecy is history pre-written. In God's omniscience, he has recorded for us many of the profound pr prophecies in all of the scriptures, both fulfilled and unfulfilled. Before we get into the question of number two, which is what are some of your favorite prophecies in the Bible, here's Pastor Ken to elaborate on some of those prophecies that God has given us. Now, Daniel 11 is part of Daniel's fourth vision. Remember, Daniel had uh, four visions, and this is uh, right in the middle of his fourth vision. The vision began in chapter 10. Um, the contents, the angel gives Daniel the contents um, of what's going to happen in chapter 11, and then chapter 12 um, is the last part of that fourth vision. Now, what's astonishing, though, about chapter 11 is the sheer amount of predictive prophecy that was written hundreds of years before the events themselves even transpired. Daniel records with such precision and such accuracy a description of historical events that followed his own time. All of the prophecies that we're going to read about were future to Daniel, because Daniel wrote these down around 530 B.C., and unlike the, the symbolism and uh, numerology that we've seen in the, a lot of the visions uh, to date, what's unique about this one, the contents of this vision, is that chapter 11 uh, gives a very straightforward, uh, literal reference to the events that are going to happen to the kings and, and the kingdoms that he's going to write about. Personally for me, my favorite prophecy that comes from the Bible can be found in the book of Psalms. This is Psalm 22. What's happening here in Psalm 22 is David is 
getting a direct prophecy from God about what the crucifixion is going to look like for Jesus. And Jesus on the cross actually does begin to quote Psalm 22 when you hear him say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Other key points in this psalm for direct correlation to the crucifixion have to do with verse 7, All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, wagging their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. In verse 16, For dogs encompass me, my company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Moving on to question three from our sermon discussion guide, we now have our four timeless truths Pastor Ken talked about in his message. Truth number one is that Scripture is reliable. Two, suffering is purposeful. Three, success is undeniable. And four, salvation is eternal. Here's Pastor Ken as he talks about each of those. So right out of the gate, the first thing that Daniel chapter 11 teaches us is that Scripture is reliable. Scripture is reliable. It can be trusted as the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God, and it can be trusted as the ultimate source of truth and wisdom. And we'll Now, as difficult and as tragic as all this persecution was, it was purposeful. See, because if Daniel 11 has taught us so far that first, Scripture is reliable, here's the second thing we learn from Daniel 11, and that's that suffering is purposeful. Scripture is reliable, and suffering it's purposeful. God always uses suffering for the good of his children. It doesn't feel good at the time. It doesn't usually look good. It never really makes sense, but it's purposeful because God purifies us in the heat of suffering. We know this is true from the New Testament, but this is something the angel even points out to Daniel. So in this, then, we learn a third thing from Daniel chapter 11, and that's simply this. Success is undeniable. Scripture is reliable, suffering is purposeful, and success is undeniable. For the child of God, our future success is guaranteed. It's guaranteed because Jesus wins. And with this, then, we draw out another truth from our text. Scripture is reliable, success uh, success is undeniable, suffering is purposeful, and here's number four. Salvation is eternal. Salvation is eternal. See, Jesus came to offer eternal life and abundant life to all who come to him in faith, for all who trust him for salvation. He's the door to the everlasting life that Daniel has been talking about this whole time. He's the only one. Jesus Christ is the only one who is able to save us. He's the only one able to redeem us. He's the only one who is able to conquer sin and death by his resurrection so he can guarantee for us our future resurrection. Our salvation purchased by Jesus comes freely to us when we receive it and it lasts for all of eternity. Question four from our sermon discussion guide instructs us to read Daniel 11, two through four 
After the introduction in chapter 10, the angel proceeds to draw back the curtain of the future to show Daniel what lays ahead for God's people. Daniel 11 is one of the most detailed prophecies in Scripture. It covers everything from the time of Daniel, which is 530 BC, to the fall of Antiochus Epiphanes in 164 BC. Then it reaches into the distant future known as the time of the end. Can you identify the historical figures or places in the verses here? And as written, Daniel 11, 2 through 4, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his prosperity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to the others beside these. These later verses, verses 3 and 4, are a direct prophecy about Alexander the Great, his sudden rise to power and conquering all of the known world, and then his sudden death, and upon his death, his kingdom being divided into the four generals, none of which had the power nor the strength that Alexander did. Moving on to question number five. Daniel 11, 5 through 20, foretells almost two centuries of Syrian and Egyptian history. The Syrian rulers are the kings of the north. They are descendants from Seleucus and Seleucides. The Egyptian rulers are the kings of the south, descended from Ptolemy and are known as the Ptolemites. The land of Israel was stuck between these two kingdoms and was thus involved in the conflict between these two powers. Do you think these prophecies comforted God's people in the midst of their suffering? How does God's word comfort you in time of pressure, pain, and suffering? And again, for us, we have the whole word of the scripture and not just the Old Testament as what they had to that time. For us, we can always refer to the 23rd Psalm. Many of us that are suffering will go back and emphasize what the, the psalmist says there, that you maketh me lie down in green pastures, and that even though the shadow of death is there for me, that no evil could be done to me. These are some great things that bring us comfort as we are dealing with these issues. But there are other promises that we have that we'll talk about in a few moments. Question number six. Daniel 11.35 says, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end. 
for it is still awaits the appointed time. And in Daniel 11:21 through 35 foretells of the wicked Antiochus IV, who was the worst persecutor of the Jews up to that point in history. Verse 35 gives one divine reason for their persecution. What is the purpose for their suffering? And that's a question that many Christians still ask today. If God is a loving God, why would I have to go through this? If God really cared about me, why would he have taken my child? Why would he have done this great, awful thing? And for many of us, this question of suffering is not given a biblical context. This persecution that they had under Antiochus, it wasn't random. This was what God had planned for them because they needed to be refined and ready for what was coming ahead. And for the same for us, that when we come against great persecution, or even if it's something taken from us and causes us great pain, God has purpose, and he can redeem all those things through us and with us, with our hope in Jesus Christ for our future, our life after this. Number seven, though it's difficult, frustrating, and discouraging, our times of suffering are never wasted. In the discussion guide, Pastor Ken gives us six different Bible verses. I'm going to read a few of them and summarize what each one says about suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, this is starting in verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may come upon me. In verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what Paul is realizing here is that even though he's facing this affliction, whether this is a metaphorical issue, a pain for him, or if it is a physical pain, that what God tells to him that my grace is sufficient for you is the same for us. Whatever we are dealing with in our lives, God's grace is enough. He is enough. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that's what it's all about, is having that hope that as we come through 
those persecutions, through those problems, through those difficulties in life, our character needs to produce hope, not hopelessness. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And the context here from Hebrews 12, think of those of you who are parents uh, disciplining your children, whether if it's through means of taking something away from them or making them do certain chores or whatever your means of discipline that you're using, it may seem unpleasant to them. They may seem ungrateful at the time, but when they grow up and they have learned the importance of being honest, the importance of doing good work, the importance of doing your best and taking care of the things that you have been given, there is a, a hope of peaceful fruit coming from that training, from that teaching. And 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that through all those things, what, what Peter is talking about here, all these things that we're going through, and this was in the heat of what was going on with the persecution of the church by Nero, that no matter what's going on, that through these trials, it is testing our faith to make it more precious than gold. Question number eight. In Daniel 11:36 through 45, the angel leaps over thousands of years of history from Antiochus Epiphanes in the past to the Antichrist of the end time, which is our future. Here's Pastor Ken with some of the clues as to the character of this ominous figure. That this uh, figure is gonna worship is himself and the God of war, war. He's gonna place tremendous confidence in his military might. Verse 39, he shall deal with the strongest forces with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So whoever acknowledges this man as king of kings are going to receive some benefits in return. His loyalty to, um, to the, the god of war combined with his political favors is going to lead him to gain popularity and power and rapidly gain control of the world. And then you get to verses 40 to 45, and what those verses do is they summarize the final struggle that's going to take place between this uh, antichrist figure who's uh, seen in these passages as the revived king of the north and the people who will seek to protect God's people. He's going to be victorious at first and he's going to set up shop 
uh, in Israel. That's what you see in some of these verses. It's going to seem like nothing could stop him. He's going to conquer major world powers. He's going to strip away so much uh, of the wealth of the world. But just as quickly as the Antichrist achieved power, so quickly is he also going to come to his end. Question 9. In Daniel 11, 1 through 35, we've learned that there are 135 prophecies in the passage that have been precisely fulfilled in history. Pastor Ken asks us, what can you conclude about the prophecies cited in verses 36 through 45? And in these verses, is Pastor Ken worried about our, the precision of those prophecies coming true in the future? That is not what he's looking for. He's asking us to remember to trust in that God is in control. One of the main talking points that we've always discussed on the podcast is the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of all things. And that is something that we have to learn to trust. It is not something that that we can easily, as adults, say, I trust in God. Trust and faith seem to be something more akin to children. Which is why Jesus said in Luke eighteen sixteen, But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Question 10. After reading Daniel 11.45 and Revelation 19, verses 11 through 20, what are these verses teaching you about the work of Christ and the destiny of the Antichrist? Here's Pastor Ken. God's word to us this morning reminds us that he guarantees success. God proved himself to be trustworthy, trustworthy in bringing about the perfect fulfillment of 135 prophecies in Daniel 11. So God can be trusted to bring about the promises that are still yet to be fulfilled. Our future success doesn't depend on us, ultimately. It depends on him. So it's undeniable. Question 11. After reading Daniel 12, 1 through 3, what is the mission and the hope of the believer according to these verses? Once again, Pastor Ken. So the angel's saying here that at the time of the end, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get real. It's going to be serious. It's going to be lots of wars and disasters, but this final time is going to be unprecedented. During these days, Michael, the protector of God's people, he's going to arise up and he's going to sustain God's people. He's going to deliver God's people. And who are the ones that are going to be delivered? Everyone whose name is found written in the book of life. Right? This is the Lamb's book of life that John refers to in the book of Revelation. This book contains the names of all of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. See, deliverance has already been determined for followers of Christ. Our deliverance is secure. Our deliverance is guaranteed. And question number 12. As we close our time together for this episode, let's reflect on the following questions. What does Daniel 11 teach us about God? And as we discussed a moment ago, this should help focus us on the sovereignty of God 
and the fact that he is omnipotent. He knows everything, not just what we can't do, but every possible part of that future. He knows all of it, and he is in control of our universe. He sustains our universe, and with the word that he speaks, he can stop sustaining our universe. What does Daniel 11 teach us about fallen humanity? You know, as this was written to comfort the Jewish people, we are a people that are looking, we're looking for hope because we are hopeless sometimes. It is our search as humans for an answer to the question of what else is there to this life. The looking for something beyond us. And that's what Daniel 11 points us to, is that there is a God out there who is bigger than me, who knows better than me, and most importantly, loves me. And what does Daniel 11 teach us about Christ? Jesus said it himself that it is finished. And that is a perfect tense. It is future, past, present. He did it. There's nothing more to do to guarantee our salvation. He has done it. And finally, what does God want me to do with all of this? Well, that's Daniel chapter 12. Thank you for joining us this week on the podcast. Next week, Pastor Dave Ritter and I will discuss chapter 12 and conclude our study in the book of Daniel. Thank you very much for joining in this very odd conversation today. I hope you have a blessed week.